Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is the OIS Podcast. I am Tom Salemi. Thank you for joining us. At OIS at AAO, Anthony Matisich, the new president and CEO of Ocular Therapeutics, gave a, uh, an unusual presentation, one that didn't include really very much new data. It was a, kind of an overview of the company that he had just joined as president and CEO a few months ago. But it was unique in its, uh, in its frankness. Let's uh, have a listen to uh, a portion of his presentation. Um, Ocular's been around for about 10 years now. We have uh, no new data to present, uh, so it's actually it's, it's a great, great honor to be able to talk about a story, not about new data, but about reemergence of a, uh, of a company that has gotten much farther than most biotech companies typically get. Um, our lead product has been at its Padufa date twice. We've been hit with two CRLs. The definition of insanity is to uh, do the same thing and expect a different result, so we've decided to do, uh, to do something that we should have done a long time ago which is actually to add the skill sets that are necessary for a biotech company as it moves through stages of development. Ocular started life as a formulation company with a medical device background. It's turned into a late-stage biopharmaceutical company. And the, uh, the need to add those resources and to add the expertise as we go forward is paramount. As Anthony noted in his presentation, Ocular Therapeutics, which was one of the more exciting stories at OIS, had uh, continued to run into the same wall, and it was uh, it realized that a new approach was necessary, and uh, Anthony joined as a result over the summer. Today, I had the chance to speak with Anthony. He's, uh, again, had six months or so at the helm of Ocular Therapeutics. He's made some changes, some significant changes in the uh, executive team that he'll talk about in this, uh, in this podcast, and uh, he explains uh, how he found his way to, uh, to lead this very exciting startup and what the plans are for the future. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Anthony Matisich of Ocular Therapeutics. But before I let you go, of course, I want to remind you that OIS at ASCRS is happening on April 12th in Washington, D.C. If you have not registered yet, you obviously should. We have a uh, preliminary agenda up there at uh, ois.net. You can uh, check out some of the topics we'll be covering at the upcoming OIS at ASCRS. Now let's get into this conversation with Anthony Matisich of Ocular Therapeutics. Anthony Matisich, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to uh, to finally have you on. I know we had connected briefly at uh, OIS at ASRS in, in Boston when you first joined Ocular Therapeutics, and uh, you had a lot going on at the moment at the time. So, uh, so we opted for a, a podcast later on, and here we are. And uh, it's great to uh, to get an update on uh, on what you're doing. I actually, before the podcast, listened to your your presentation at OIS at AAO, and uh, I thought it was uh, it was very well done. I mean, it was. Uh, just sort of a remarkable, Frank. You know, here we are. Here are the changes we're, we recognize we needed to make, and uh, here are the changes we're, we're making. I wondered how much um, discussion went into what you were going to say at that particular presentation. Was it evident that that's what you wanted to convey, or were there were some discussions as to whether you should present, present, or shouldn't present? Uh, what was the communication strategy there? Yeah, I mean, there, there were a lot of discussions about whether we should present or not, because we didn't really have any new data to present. 
and the the really what we had to present was was a new story. I think the uh, the recognition from the company standpoint that that and it's very typical from a, a biotechnology company where the the original inventors sort of hold on for too long, and that as the uh, as the molecules develop and become closer to market, that different skill sets are needed in the environment. And that the company just didn't keep itself current enough and add those skill sets when they were needed. So it was it was definitely. I mean, we when we decided and we actually were lucky enough to get a spot because it it wasn't it wasn't easy given that we had no no new data to present. That it was part of a part of a broader discussion with a number of, of investors and and anybody who'd be interested in the company to really sort of get to know the new team and understand what the uh, that we hopefully realize the the problems that we've had in the past, and that we've done what we can to fix them. I mean, I, I can't guarantee that they're all fixed, but <laughs> but the hope is that we've done the right thing to fix them. No, I thought it was a, it was a very good uh, first chapter to, to this new story. Uh, what are the the differences between? Uh, I think they're probably evident, but between a medical device company and what you are now, a late stage biopharmaceutical company, uh, is it? a different skill set amongst the managers? Is it different infrastructure within the company? Is it both? Is it more? Yeah, I mean, the, the infrastructure is, is not terribly different, it, but, but there's a whole different way of thinking. I think particularly in, in the, you know, the, the differences that I've come to find out because I, my, my background's entirely on, on the biopharma space and I don't, didn't, didn't know much about devices until I got here. I mean, one of the ones that, that, that's very different from what I understand is, is the device world is, is really about you know getting getting your team together and and sort of getting your blinders on and and, and getting a, a, a product to market uh, generally by yourself because it's these cycle times are are, are quicker the the, uh, the the amount of, of work that it takes to get a product to market is less uh, the regular regulatory environment is quite different so one of the big changes that that we've had coming into this environment is to, to say hey if we're going to have uh, essentially, a global business with a with a very broad pipeline, um, also potentially in in areas other than just applications to the eye. We we need to we need to do this through partnerships that we can't afford it all ourselves, and we certainly we're we're not going to be building a, a a sales operation in China. So we 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 need to open up to the outside world and and really uh, talk to other companies, and that that is been a big change. It's hard to see from the outside, but but certainly the the kind of the incoming interest we have to both you know, partner the products that we have potentially, but also to uh, to leverage the, the the platform. I mean, one of the the reason I came to this company essentially is because of the platform and the ability to leverage that in, in a number of, of of different areas with with uh, you know really is a, a superior modality for for uh, for drug delivery. You have an enormous opportunity for collaboration. You're right. That's not something you, you typically see at a med tech. It's, uh, it's go it alone until you, you sell the company or maybe have some distribution here and there, but that's it. That's exactly that. It's go it alone until you have some distribution and then you sell the company. And that, that was essentially the, the, the model, even though that wasn't necessarily the intention to sell the company, but the, the, the kind of the muscle memory of the team that was in place, the, you know, Amar Sahani had built, I think, five or six different device companies uh, all very successful, all sold on to bigger to bigger device uh, device multinationals, and the team that uh, that he did that with essentially were were the core team that 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 brought Ocular forward as well. 
So it's very difficult when you've had such success in the past and 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 such uh, you know have been able to really perf- to perfect what you do to realize that that it's a different environment. And I think the thing that really tripped us up was really how different the environment is from a, a regulatory standpoint, and that uh, that the device manufacturer is 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 fundamentally different than pharmaceutical manufacturer. That from a device world, from the way I see it here, is is, is that it, it, it's very uh, very custom kind of bespoke manufacturing, a very sort of SOP and GMP light. Where you uh, what you rely on is 100% inspection of all material that's uh, that, that's created, and the stuff that uh, that is that fits the specifications for sale for sale you sell, and the stuff that doesn't you you throw away, and that's that seems to be the way the device world is, is structured. In pharma, as as you know, it's it's quality has to be built into the process, and the more sophisticated agencies even are really not even concerned about end quality testing because if the process is is has enough is, is properly validated and 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 has the the quality built in, it can't fail but produce a product that 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 is that, that's in spec. So that disconnect is uh, it is what actually unfortunately wiped about 750 million off the the company's market cap and and really put us in the penalty box because it it becomes very difficult when. When you're not used to interpreting what what the uh, the, the pharmaceutical division of Cedar is saying, because they're, they're coming with specific issues in, in the 483s, and the device response say, well, we'll fix these issues, and then we're fine. And I think that team did. They went about fixing the issues, but they what they didn't realize because they didn't have the proper kind of mindset to understand what the what the FDA was saying. Is that the FDA was saying the entire quality systems within the production unit need to be improved, that the plant is not up to GMP specification, and and that it needs to have a uh, a continuous improvement uh, project that that actually brings all of the standards forward to where you're 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 not relying on end inspection to 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 get quality product. You're actually building quality into the process, and that that fundamental disconnect uh, unfortunately resulted in in two CRLs. I mean, through everybody's Hard work and very good intention. It, it's a it's a really palpable example where where there was just a disconnect in what was being said and what was being understood from the team. How would you describe the uh, the mor- the morale of the company as, as you went in? Those two CRLs, as you noted, has to be discouraging. They're they're working hard. They're trying to remedy things, and and they're uh, they're not getting uh, not getting to the starting line. Uh, how did you find things at Ocular Therapeutics? I was actually really surprised that, that the engagement from the ocular team has been has been really uh, impressive, and and there wasn't there there was disappointment. Um, I think when I came in, unfortunately, the first thing I had to do was restructure, but all of the restructuring was was on essentially what was a recently hired commercial structure. Uh, part of the the uh, you know there was such confidence within within the group. That because they'd been so successful in the past that that after the first CRL they thought they they solved the issues that that there was there was a, a really uh, um, deep and intense spend in the, on the commercial environment. So when we came when I came in, um, I guess the first part is I I didn't think we needed that heavy a footprint from a commercial uh, for a commercial team. So even if we were going to go forward, the question was how big was that commercial structure going to be? But the second was that since we had the setback. 
uh, we really needed to make sure that we, we reduced the level of burn. So, you know, unfortunately, we, we, we had to restructure, but there was 100% of the restructure was really in that commercial team, which had been sort of recently hired and was, was for the most part, not uh, internal uh, to, the, to the Bedford facility where, where everybody, uh, where, where the, the rest of the ocular team was. So it was it was painful, but but I guess it wasn't from the standpoint of the company it wasn't terribly demoralizing because for the the formulators and the and the people in the, in the in the technical operations area, they they carried on as before. As a matter of fact, they they got the the, the messages back to them were that we needed to really double down on on the uh, on making sure that we were resourced enough within within the technical operations area that we had enough uh, uh, enough sort of heat and light and attention to make sure that we, we built ourselves out in the proper way to, to take another run at it. We always knew that, that the, the hard bit, the, the, the clinical and the safety elements of, of Dextenza were, were fine, that there was, there was no issue within the FDA. We'd essentially negotiated the label, that, that the, the hard stuff was done. And the manufacturer, the, the easy bit, we stubbed our toe on. But, but that was, I said, just because of that disconnect of, of not understanding what the FDA was wanting from us. And in the, in the meantime, we, we rectified that. We definitely have the right people in the right places now. It's just a question of, of you know, rolling up our sleeves and, and getting the work done because it's, it's not, it doesn't require any great brilliance. And that's the one thing about pharmaceutical manufacture. It, it, it's incredibly rote. Everything you do has to be you know, papered up in, a, in some sort of an SOP or a GMP or, 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 or some sort of a quality system where it's captured. And it's about building that into the culture where, where, where we actually you know, build quality into the process rather than the end inspection. So we, we, are, we, we have now, I think we've brought in about 150 years of pharmaceutical experience, whereas before in the, the technical operations area um, and regulatory, we really had none. So this is this is really a, a, a massive shift in in the in the company, um, but at the same time we're we're doubling down on on what we what we bring to the market, which is our ability to to work with these organic materials and formulate them to be uh, to be drug depots and and improve drug drug delivery. So it's kind of a it's like a twofold message within the company. One one is hey we have to go forward and become a biopharma company, and in doing that. Of the top eight executives, five of them now are, are new, all of whom have deep pharmaceutical experience, but that the people who, who remain with the company are, are people who actually are the ones who are going to make the difference for both our present and our future. The, the brilliant polymer chemistry and the, the, you know, the great formulation work that we do, we understand that, that that's the core of the company and will always be the core of the company. Well, you, and, and thanks for the update on the management team. I was going to ask about that. And just and actually to follow up on that. So with, you, you mentioned the changes at the beginning, the, the restructuring you had to do, the, 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 um, the emphasis of the, of the commercial aspect. You brought in the, the five of, you said five of eight are, the, are new uh, members of the senior team, I think. Yeah. Uh, is that the extent of the changes at the, at the top level or do you have to make changes at the, the mid-level and, and lower levels as well? Well, at the top level... Top level's done. I mean, the, the, way I've, the way I've always run my organizations is I, I hire the people that I that I, I, I believe in and trust and, and and put them in the right spot, and then respect the decisions that they make. So the the, the next wave, if there is a next wave, I mean, the the, the people at, at Ocular are, are the ones of the levels below are are, are typically you know, very energetic, very bright. 
um, and very moldable. So they, even though many of them have a lot of device history, they, they are, their, their academic backgrounds would, would make them flexible enough to work in any kind of environment. So that, you know, there may be some changes in that second wave, but, but that's really for the people who I've put in those roles to, to kind of come back to me. And, and we certainly, you know, already reorganized within the quality and, and technical operations areas and done quite a bit within, within regulatory as well. So I, I think we're, 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 pretty, we're pretty pat. I, I don't expect there to be great changes in personnel moving forward. The, the team is is capable now of, of being able to do everything it needs to do, from what I can see. I want to talk about the future, but before I do that, I typically open up these podcasts by, by trying to find out a little bit about our guests. So how did you come to know about the ocular therapeutics opportunity? And, well, let me back even up further. How did you find your way into uh, into the pharmaceutical industry and into ultimately Unifarm or where you, where you were before joining Ocular? Yeah, the farm industry was was really like a lot of things in life, completely random. I I, I was trying to get a, a PhD actually in in terrorism at a time when terrorism was not a fashionable area to to, to get a PhD in in the Department of Political Science. In terrorism, really? I realized I was going to, you know, realized I was going to struggle with that. It was actually religious violence. I realized I was going to struggle with that in in the the old sort of Cold War era. Um, where that wasn't a serious area of, of, of inquiry within political science. And so I was kind of looking for something to do. I had some experience in, in India, and I spoke a bit of the, the Indian Urdu and, and actually just wound up meeting somebody in a pharmaceutical company that needed a consultant to help them get out of a very bad joint venture. And from that moment on, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry, and I've been in there ever since. So it's sort of Every year at the beginning, you know, three or four years was supposed to be my last, and I was going to go back and finish off my PhD. But it turned out that wasn't uh, that wasn't going to be the case, in part because the industry has been continually fascinating and interesting to me. And and you know, after about ten years, I realized, okay, this is my career, and I guess this is where I'm going to stay. So where uh, where have the, been the many stops that you've uh, that you've uh, taken? Um, first half of my career, I uh, was in big pharma. I started off in in Merck. Uh, for the first five years, and then went to Bristol Myers Squibb, and with them, I worked uh, pretty much all over the world and in various places, starting in, in Indonesia, and then Malaysia, Singapore, then the Netherlands, and then back to New York, um, and then went to Novartis for a couple of years and, and ran one of their divisions in the in, in the U.S. and realized at that point that big pharma felt like it was getting a, a bit tired to me and and kind of wanted a new uh, a, a new start in a different area of the industry. And I moved over to uh, to Mundi Pharma, which is a the second largest uh, family-owned uh, pharmaceutical company in the world. The, the consortium of companies that they, they they bring together, and I was the uh, the CEO of their uh, their Mundi Pharma business, which is based in Cambridge, England. It's a it's a global business, but it it has uh, selling and marketing operations in in Europe, and it works through license arrangements in in other parts of the world. But that that was basically a delivery company and as a, you know, a, a giant delivery company, I think all in all with uh, the, the, the total portfolio was about four and a half, five billion dollars worth of essentially you know, delivery products. Um, we were a, a very large consumer of delivery technologies and I started up a number of businesses, one in biosimilars, one in respiratory and, and looked in, in different ways to, to build a bio better business actually, and, and also to, to think about alternate forms of delivery in, in different niche areas of the market. And in those, that 
discussions, I, I, I ran across Ocular. And in discussions with uh, with Amar, it was it was clear then that they were actually he was looking to uh, to find somebody with pharmaceutical experience to take over uh, for him at Ocular. And instead of buying the company, which was my initial interest, I decided actually to join it because it it actually when I look at the hydrogel and what it's capable of doing, both inside the eye and outside the eye. It is uh, it, it's a whole pharmaceutical company. If we uh, if we can validate the platform. And start the conveyor belt working with uh, with additional ideas to bring into the portfolio. It, it is a it, it's a it's a virtually inexhaustible source of uh, of delivery technology. It's, it's, I've never seen a technology quite like it, which is which is why I, I said, okay, this is worthwhile to bring me and my family over to Boston and and start a new life in biotech. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break from this conversation with Anthony Matisic to remind you that we have three OISs coming up. OIS at ASRS, of course, is happening on April 12th. That's in D.C. OIS at ASRS is happening on July 20th in Vancouver. Very excited about that one. And OIS at AAO is happening on October 25th in one of my favorite towns, Chicago. So I, we hope you will join us at all three events. And if you intend to attend all three I suggest the triple play package. You can register by March 12th and you'll save 30% off the bundled registration fees if you uh, sign up for all three at once. If you think you'll only make two, we have our double play package. You'll save some money there as well. So go to OIS.net, click register, and all these packages will just pop up on your screen before you. Now let's get back into this conversation with Anthony Matisic. Had you had other opportunities to work at a, a smaller company before? And, and turn it down? Or is this the first time you sort of considered r- running your own ship separate, even, even though you're CEO at Munifarma, I'm sure there are folks above you? Yeah. Was this your first opportunity to be? Munifarma, was, it was a pure CEO role. It was I, I had a board above me just like I, just oh, like okay. I do now. All right. Um, that's the difference. The board were, were owners of the company. So that's a, that's a, little, bit of a, a little bit of a different board towards a, a fully professional board. So it, was, it was half family members, half, half outside members. But... <clears throat> But no, I mean, I had been offered a number of different CEO roles. Um, so I think part of it is I was turning 50, and you kind of think about, well, what, what else are you going to do in life? The world at Money Pharma was, was wonderful, and it was a great existence, but I'd been there for 13 years, and the idea was, was I going to finish my career there or do something different? So I'd actually been looking in the environment for a year, year and a half, and it dovetailed nicely with the ability to uh, – you know, as you're as you're looking to interview with jobs, you also get insights into technology and into different different uh, opportunities for business development. So there was kind of a twofold purpose of, of making myself available. And I was kind of surprised with Ocular that that it it became so tempting. And uh, in the end, it, it it seemed like the decision made itself. And part of it was was a connection with Amar, who I think is a, a fantastic guy and just a real ingenious person with a with a really really good heart as well and in some ways too good of a heart and that he, he held on for too long to the to the team that he had and and didn't and didn't bring in new talent quickly enough but but i i thought i could work with him and learn from him because i certainly being a, a ceo of a publicly traded company was was something that was entirely new to me where is a uh, home for you you were coming back to the states did you did you grow up here is, is did that play into it as well uh yeah i grew up mainly on the west coast so my my original target was to get back to California. Um, I'm from Berkeley, so I, I really wanted to get back to Northern California. But but Ocular was was just too good, 
too good an opportunity to pass up. And, and it turns out Boston's not such a bad place either. So I, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying being here. Good. I'm glad. I'm a Boston guy and, and uh, live up in Newburyport, so not too far away from you. Um, so what is, let's, let's talk about Ocular's future. What is your, what are your plans? Well, let's first talk about your, your news. Uh, you raised some capital recently. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the public offering? How much are you, uh, able to say? I know it's, it's fresh. Sure. I mean, it was pretty clear to the market that we were going to need to recapitalize at some point. I mean, one of the, the, the changes, uh, in environment that we bring from the pharmaceutical background is that we have we have the ability to to bring in uh, to recapitalize the country and a company in a number of different ways. Um, business development partnerships, I think, is in some ways is, is a preferred way to start bringing capital in the company, but that just you, you don't want to rely on that happening. Business development is kind of a fickle mistress, and it can go one way or the other. And you don't you you don't want to rely on the capital coming in from business development over short periods of time. I think as we get our, our pipeline moving forward, there's also possibilities for royalty financing and, and other elements of financing that I've used in the past that, that I, I think are pretty attractive, given, given that we have a, a, a late-stage portfolio without burdensome royalty and, and good gross margins gives us an ability to finance in different ways. But the timing for having to recapitalize the company, because I, I didn't want to create a really short runway for the company. I, did, I didn't want that to become an issue. So I always wanted to make sure that we we had the ability to de-risk the company, uh, and didn't and didn't have to uh, rely on on essentially somebody uh, having the leverage of of the fact that we we had not, hadn't fully de-risked, particularly with Extenza. So we we had been looking for the right opportunity to do uh, to do a raise. Uh, I think we'd kind of been a victim of some of some tax loss selling at the end of last year. So we, uh, we 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 didn't want to in that environment. Clearly, we didn't we didn't want to uh, to to, to uh, trigger a financing in that environment. Um, as we expected in the beginning of of, uh, of January, um, not only I think was the message that we were that we were uh, sending out was starting to be received, but we also had the team members to be able to put on display. Uh, the, the team that I've been able to attract here is is really spectacular, and, and getting actually them out to talk to investors was, I think, the turning point in the way the investment community saw us. And I guess part of being in a in a privately held company for so long, <clears throat> you're you're really not transparent or not not a not not a, not somebody who's known to the investment community. But the team that I've been able to hire. They, they are, and they're quite capable of, of being able to, to have these discussions and I think bring people along. So we saw the tide kind of turn a little bit at the uh, um, starting, with, starting this year where the, the, the stock price started to recover and recovered well. Um, we started to get some, uh, some uh, good sort of uh, analyst reports and, and elements where, where the, the, the market seemed to be giving us the benefit of the doubt going forward. And so it felt like a good time to uh, to, to go for uh, to go for a raise, which we uh, which we did, and and the choice was to do a marketed deal because we wanted to make sure that as we did the raise, we also brought in um, good long-term investors, strategic investors. I think one of the things the company might have suffered from a little bit in the past was that uh, we we had a, uh, um, a a very large trading base, which is good because we were, we were fairly liquid. But but we we didn't have a, a a very deep investor base that 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 really saw the value of the company in the long term 
or as deep as I wanted. It's not, it's not fair to say it wasn't it wasn't deep. So we wanted to use the the, the financing not only as an opportunity to to recapitalize, but also an environment to be able to bring in long-term investors that that understood the value of the company, not just in Dextenza, but but in the in the rest of the pipeline and also in the potential pipeline. And that that's really key. That that I think we we had the investor base we had was so keyed off of Dextenza. That, that it wasn't it wasn't fully understood what what the, the the real potential of the company was or the full potential of the company was, and what we discovered in in those discussions as we we did the marketed deal was we we actually were able to generate um, we went originally for about uh, we were looking for 25 million we we were able to generate almost 60 million in demand so we we were way oversubscribed and actually we we wound up taking more money than we had in anticipated that we were going to take in part because there was a new investor a very substantial new investor that that we brought into the stock and an even more substantial sort of old investor who had pretty much left the stock that one that came back in um were pretty insistent that that we fill their their entire demand for uh for for uh, um for for stock so that left us with very little to give to the rest of the investors who we've been speaking to so we actually we we opened it up a little more and took took a little more money than we had we initially planned, in part because uh, we we wanted to make sure that the people who were following the story had at least some of their 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 demand for uh, um, for for uh, for shares in the offering that we were able to satisfy some of that and we're and we're extremely happy with who we who we've been able to to uh, to bring into the stock and you can see the the movement of the stock after the raise that that it traded up. Significantly higher, in part because the, we we left a lot of demand on the table uh, without without you know taking it all for the raise. So we, we feel very good about it. We don't feel great about raising at uh, at, at a, what we feel is is a pretty low stock price relative to what what we think we can be. But uh, you know we let some some friends in on a really good deal, and hopefully we're we'll we'll able to demonstrate for them that they they, they made a great investment. Sure, good good karma is always a, a good thing. So what? Let, the final question, I guess, is what? Uh, what will you be? What What are your plans for Dextenza, and what does uh, Oculotherapeutics look like in uh, in two or three years? Yeah, well, I mean, Dextenza is is uh, it is is the focus now, and despite the the fact that we we believe that the the pipeline has tremendous value, we we are um, the the organization understands that it's Dextenza, Dextenza, it's Dextenza, and we are we are. Building to do uh, an internal U.S. launch of Dextenza, we think that given the the, uh, the properties of the product and the economics in the environment, that this is something that a small company can do and do very successfully. Uh, and we think we can get to profitability pretty early with that. So it, it's a uh, it, it's an environment where I've you know I, I've had experiences in my career where I, I've launched into environments where you have economic drivers that are working for you. And when you have that, you have a, uh, a, a tremendous opportunity to have others help you build volume along with the people you, you bring in as well. And that, that's certainly what we're anticipating with Dextenza. So we, we are, you know, the closer I get to Dextenza, the more excited I get about the opportunity for it. Um, but we also continue to advance the pipeline. We'll, we will be uh, um, in 2018, by, by the end of 2018, we'll, we'll have the, the readout on the first pivotal for uh, the Travaprost uh, intracanalicular delivery for glaucoma, um, but we have two products in phase one that we will be dosing patients in the middle of the year, 
and then uh, there'll be open label trials, so we'll be able to demonstrate in those patients what what we uh, what, what we're seeing, and with our our uh, intercameral administration for travel across, we'll be looking to see that we have reliable absorption over a very short period of time. We'll be looking to see that the uh, that the product fits in the inferior angle and doesn't move around, and that we'll also be looking that since you know it's a soft material that uh, that that um, that, that resorbs quickly and easily that, that will we'll have uh, um, will be very kind to the endothelial cells on the, on the, uh, the the underside of the cornea. So we think that that is going to to give us a nice uh, picture of, of what that looks like going forward. But the the real excitement or the, the lottery ticket we have is, is with our tyrosine kinase inhibitor, which is uh, um, also going to be in an open label trial in, uh, um, in in dosing patients by the middle of the year. And we hope to be able to, to characterize what we're seeing clearly from a safety standpoint, but also from a, you know, whether we're getting, seeing the eyes dry out. Uh, we hear some exciting data about TKIs given systemically or given orally through, through the systemic circulation, where there appears to be a biological effect in, uh, in patients who are refractory to VEGF therapy, um, but also a confirmatory uh, uh, understanding that, that you can't Treat uh, wet AMD or diabetic retinopathy with a with an oral TKI because the, uh, the the toxicities are just too high. So delivery directly into the eye of, of, a, of a TKI is, is is the only way to do it, and that that kind of leaves a very few number of companies that that are in that space. So that that's one that, that if we if we get a read on that, I, I think that that will give a, be a huge pivot for the company. And I guess lastly, our 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 uh, collaboration with Regeneron for Athlibercept in, uh, in in the, the back of the eye for treatment of wet AMD that, that is moving along nicely. We're we're in the uh, a non-human primate trial uh, for the last three weeks that, that is actually being run by Regeneron, and they they are they've added a new arm to that. So there's a, a great deal of of heat and light and excitement on their side as well as on ours about how that that might be able to move forward. And, and then, as I mentioned, the, the whole possibility of, of using our, our our platform, our hydrogel platform, to bring new products into the clinic, which I, I hope we can do in 2018, but also in working with other companies in order to improve their molecules, either inside or outside the eye. I mean, we don't want to become diffuse as a, as, as a company to, to take products outside the eye too far down the line. But for other companies that, that have molecules that can be improved, that, uh, that that may be delivered elsewhere in the body, where our hydrogel can be uh, can advantage the delivery, um, we can do that very easily without without losing our focus on uh, as an ophthalmology company, as a later stage ophthalmology company. Where where are some of those uh, areas of the body where that it might apply? Do you have those mapped out yet, or are you just uh, leaving it for others? To oh yeah, yeah. In? I mean, it's, it's essentially. If you can keep, and, and this was this was uh, really nice to hear because we've been saying this, but it was nice to hear it parroted back from from uh, from people within Regeneron. If you can keep a uh, a, a large <clears throat> monoclonal antibody stable in the vitreous of the eye for six months in a looting drug, you can put it anywhere in the body. That's you, you've taken essentially one of the most difficult molecules in one of the the most difficult areas of the body. If you if you can do that, you should be able to to put it anywhere. If you want to put it in in a you know in a in a knee joint, or you want to put it in an, an interperitoneal space, or you you know you want to put it in different uh, you know in the fornix or in the, I mean in any any type of an area, we 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 should be able to uh, to to get the hydrogel 
stable and and resorbing and eluding drug. So there there is a, there's there's lots of possibilities. There are lots of actually technologies that are unable to bring forward unable to bring forward because either because of systemic toxicities or because the systemic circulation destroys the efficacy of the molecule. That the ability to deliver something locally uh, and and in in large molecules and and in high doses is is uh, is really unusual for a delivery mechanism and. So the hydrogel has been fully validated. It's been essentially it's been in six million patients to date as a device. In all of those circumstances, there, there, there's never been a signal of inflammatory response. It all resorbs uh, reliably and completely. And certainly, the the the, the wetter the environment, the, the more reliable the the, the resorption. So it, it's it's wonderful stuff, and and it is it it does enable a lot of technologies that that are sitting on the shelf, and and we're we're having some very interesting discussions now around what we might be able to do in those areas. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to see uh, your future presentations at OIS. I'm sure you'll have much more data in those, and uh, it's great to have you as part of uh, the OIS community. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's all we realize it's all about execution on Dexenza. Once we get out of the penalty box with that, then 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 the world opens up for us. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for the time and, and best of luck. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Anthony Matisic of Ocular Therapeutics, thank you for joining us and for sharing your story. We look forward to many great presentations at future OISs. OIS podcast listeners, thank you for joining us. If you wouldn't mind doing a favor or two, you could uh, give us a ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. That will help others find the podcast. Please do subscribe to the podcast. That way we can send the podcast directly to you, to your phone or tablet or wherever you're listening to this. You can also tell your friends about the OIS podcast if they enjoy ophthalmology and innovation as much as you do. And finally, don't forget to reach out to me. I am uh, My email is tom at healthag.com. That is the word health. Followed by the letters egy.com. Healthag is the producer of the OIS podcast and the OIS events. You can find me at Twitter at MedTechTom. You can uh, tweet directly to the podcast and to the OIS events at OIS Tweets. So lots of ways to reach us. Let us know what we're doing well and what we could do better. And uh, again, don't forget to join us on April 12th at OIS at ASCRS in Washington, D.C.